Big Brother might or might not be watching you, but in 2017, plenty of cameras are. And it's not just slack-jawed security guards who should have worked harder at school staring at the footage. Sitting behind some of these cameras is some very smart technology invented right here in New Zealand. Founder and CEO of New Zealand company Imager, William Chomley, joins me now to tell us all about it. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So, imager, it's like uh, image with an R on the end and no E. Did I, uh, did I pronounce that correctly? You, you did indeed. So, it, it's kind of a bit of a play on image uh, recognition. Gotcha. So, tell me what the company does. So, I guess what we do uh, is really recognise uh, supermarket products without the need for barcode scanning. Uh, and really what, what we do is we've built a, uh, a platform where we look at all of the, the features that make up a certain product, um, so, you know, the colour, the shape, the size, uh, and from, from that, you know, we're able to make a, a positive match of, you know, basically anything that we're seeing. So what, why would you want to do that? Because I, I go to supermarkets all the time and I know what a can of baked beans look like. I can, I can recognise that. I don't need technology. So where do you come in? Who, who are you there for? Look, I mean, what we're really out to solve is, is a problem for the customers of retailers. So, you know, I guess we've designed an experience where we bring the point of sale to a shopping trolley or, or a basket. Uh, now, the reason that we need to recognise products based on, you know, I guess a, a feature set uh, is because a lot of companies have tried to do it by bringing uh, barcode scanning to, to the trolley or basket and, and have just really seen too much theft. I guess f for us, the way that we get around this uh, is if we're able to recognise based on features and uh, we can remove the need for any barcode scanning, which means... Uh, we can help eliminate the theft um, from people not scanning barcodes, but it also means that there's no change to shopping behaviour. So people can add or remove products from their shopping basket without the need to show it to the camera. Um, it, it's just picked up automatically. So, so describe to me a trip yep. to the supermarket with Imager. Where, where are these cameras? How do I pay? How does it affect my shopping? Okay, so look, for us, we use uh, all of the existing infrastructure. So we're using, you know, the store Wi-Fi. We're using uh, the current trolleys. Um, I guess the only difference is, is that there's an interaction with, with the smartphone um, and we clip one of our devices onto an existing trolley. So I guess if I, I walk you through uh, the device itself, uh, it comprises three cameras. They're quite small. Um, and these are a retrofit solution that just clip onto any existing trolley, mm -hmm. and they remain a permanent fixture there. Now, the customer of uh, you know a, a retailer, I would download their application, and I would set up you know a profile similar to let's say Uber. So you've got your payment, your name, uh, you know your address or, or phone number or what have you. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you walk into the supermarket, you connect your phone to one of these smart trolleys and you, you're good to go. Now from there, as you're shopping, adding products to the supermarket trolley, you're getting a running receipt coming through to your phone. Now the same happens when you take a product out, that's then deducted from your rolling receipt. Um, and once you've finished your shopping, uh, you can just walk straight out past the checkout and cut your cards deducted automatically or we also have a solution to, to pay as you're exiting so that, you know, you can choose your card if you like. 
So does this exist now or is it all just in your head? No. <laughs> um, there are some companies in the world that do something similar. So Amazon, for example, uh, they have a solution called Amazon Go that is in the US. Um, but we do actually have this up and running uh, in, our, in our office um, and it will be live in April 2018. Oh, whereabouts? Where can I go and try this? Uh, it will be in a store in Auckland. Um, but unfortunately, I can't tell you just just at this at this time. Oh, it's a it's a big dark secret. So the yeah. the difference between Imager or one of the differences yeah. between Imager and yeah. the Amazon Go system, as far as I know, is the Amazon store in the states, which is just one shop. It's just it's like a little sort of somewhere between a dairy and a Foursquare. Yeah. It, the shop itself is infested with cameras and sensors right. and they see what you take off the shelf, they see what you put back and the system works out how much to pay. Yours just clips on to shopping trolleys, right? That's correct. So I guess the, the difference, well, in fact, there are a couple of differences. So first of all, Amazon uh, uses, you know, a, a bunch of sensors. So you're right there. Um, it incorporates facial recognition so that it can pair you with your phone. Um, and that's how it monitors you as you're walking around the store. Uh, and then it uses weight sensor on a shelf to know when something has been picked up. So, I mean, it is it is quite a complex situation. And, and uh, you know, the main thing around their solution is, you know, first of all, you need to build a, a store from scratch to be able to operate this. It, you know, it is, it is pretty complex. Um, and, you know, second of all, they won't sell it to anybody else. You know, this is a solution that they'll keep for themselves. I guess what's different with us is we use existing infrastructure. So, you know, we don't require uh, building a new store or implementing, um, you know, too much new wiring, for example. We just are aiming to really clip on and, and away they go. What about shopping baskets? Because, I, you know, I'm, I'm a daily shopper. Where I live, yep. I'm, I'm luckily, I'm, I'm surrounded by supermarkets. I can't, you know, turn mm -hmm. the corner without... Um, tripping over one, and yep. I, I never use a trolley, always use a basket. Is, is, yep. is your system too big for a basket? No, so we're actually making our own baskets, and these are the ones that will be live come 2018. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, what's great about a basket is you're right. I mean, everyone's starting to do more frequent shopping. Now, for us, what's really great about the basket is it incorporates a couple of little clips in there so that you can bag your shopping as you go. Uh, which means, you know, hopefully we can start moving towards removing those plastic bags, um, as, you know, as long as everyone brings, you know, their own reusable. Well, as, as, as a dog owner, though, I've got to say, and we're going way off topic, as a dog owner, I hope they don't re remove those plastic bags anytime soon because they're pretty useful. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a fair call. So your system, Imager, is yeah. recognising what's put into our basket or our trolley based on mm -hmm. what it looks like. That's yeah. more complicated than it seems because your modern supermarket carries, what, 40, 000, uh, 40 to 50,000 different products, right? That's correct. That's correct. So we have an onboarding, um, an onboarding platform. Uh, so at the moment, you know, what you kind of see on online shopping, for example, you've got around, you know, depending who your retailer is, 12 different images of, of any one product from all different angles. Uh, and, you know, we essentially are doing something similar, uh, taking pictures from all different angles so that, you know, when it does come time to throw that product and it doesn't matter what orientation or, or speed it falls in at, 
uh, and then we feed that into into our platform so that you know we can start to learn uh, what what it looks like. So I, I get how that works for you know a box of wheat bix or a, a pack of toilet paper, but mm-hmm. you know let, let's say I want to buy an apple. No mm-hmm. two apples are alike. And if I sh- say to the system, hey, this is an apple, and then another one comes through and it's a different colour or a different shape or it has a leaf attached to it, does the system still know that that's a Braeburn or a, a Jazz or a, a juicy apple? Okay, so for us, you know, there are forms of doing, you know, volumetric, uh, essentially weighing, right, while, while you're looking at something. For us, we've got a little bit of a simpler solution to that. You know, we're just going to let people bag their, you know, their fruit and veg uh, and then show a barcode to the camera. For us, we know when something has gone in. And so if it goes in undetected, you know, we do have that feedback loop there. Uh, So, you know, if you've got your apples, you weigh them, um, you print a barcode and, you know, you show that to the camera and you you pop it in your basket or your trolley. Oh, that sounds like a bit of a pain in the bum, doesn't it? You're not going to admit it to me, but that is a pain in the bum. Well, yeah, look, I mean, there's... There's a few, you know, there's a few ways to look at it. Um, you, on on the back end, right? You've you've got the chance to skip the checkout altogether. So, you know, for us, we do need a little bit of give and take. Mm-hmm. And I guess by skipping the checkout altogether, a bit like these bloody annoying, you know, please remove the last item from the bagging area robots. You're also going to skip the uh, the checkout operators, and and you know, with with every advance in automation, uh, jobs disappear, right? Look, I probably wouldn't pitch it like that. Um, you know, one of the main, I guess, points for us building what we're building is really to enhance the customer experience, you know, really create a more personalised experience when customers are in store. And, you know, for us, our vision is certainly that, you know, checkout operators are redeployed throughout the store. You know, shelves not being stacked tends to be around an 8 to 9% problem, uh, well, when it comes time for revenue or, or even EBIT. You know, so actually making the store more efficient by putting more people on the floor is is where we're angling. And and is that, you know, you mentioned a more personalised experience and, you know, Mm -hmm. not talking to a checkout operator works against that, but does the personal experience come in with, you know, your vision that those people will then be deployed to the store and they'll say, you know, hey, William, hey, Vaughan, you know, have some apples. Yeah, look, I'm, you know, it's, it's about creating a more market-like feel for customers when they're in store. You know, off the back of this, once, you know, we're able to know when a customer comes into store, um, you know, we're already at an advantage. You know, the only time a, a supermarket knows when you're in store is when you're leaving. You know, they've got all of this data to be able to create such unique experiences. However, you know, they're only able to offer it to you once you've left. What we're doing is we're shifting that to once you're in store, which means that, you know, as you're shopping, for example, uh, you know, we can start to suggest recipes based on your shopping, you know, contents of your shopping trolley or basket. Uh, you know, we can start to upload your list and guide you around the store in a much quicker fashion. Um, you know, we're we're able to send you a receipt once once you've left. Yeah, sorry. Or, or suggest microwave meals for one because it plugs into your Facebook profile and knows that you're a sad, and, uh, sad, sad lonely bastard. Hey, talking to uh, William Chomley from New Zealand company Imager on the uh, the future of supermarket shopping back soon. It's Sunday Social, an hour dedicated to social media with Vaughan Davis. Welcome back to Sunday Social. I'm talking to William Chomley, founder of image recognition company 
Imager, which uh, at the moment is working hard to transform the world of supermarket shopping. William, welcome back. Thank you very much. Now, I've got to say, if I was a you know, bright young thing coming up with a, a tech solution to change the world, I'd go, oh, yeah, rockets to Mars, Hyperloops, uh, electric cars. What got you excited about supermarket shopping, for goodness sake? Look, I mean, it, <laughs> it was more just born out of a, a, a frustration than anything. Um, my background is in finance, and I was working in a fund in Sydney. And I uh, spent my whole lunch break for the majority of my career there in line at a, a Woolworths underneath our, uh, underneath our office and started investigating ways to change it. Um, and, you know, I guess the more research that I did, the more I realised that it's an industry that hasn't had any true transformation in a very long time. And a lot of us have, you know, the, those frustrating moments and we go, oh, there must be a better way, and then we go back to work and forget about it. Mm-hmm. What, what actually tipped you over the edge in, into going, yep, I'm going to make a business out of this, I'm going to, you know, change the world one shopping cart at a time? <laughs> um, it was actually quite opportune. I was asked to help uh, a girl in, in Sydney do a, an analysis on an uh, Israeli RFID company. And RFID is a very, well, it's essentially a smart barcode that doesn't require any, you know, contact like a barcode. It works over frequency waves, similar to the radio. And the more I dug into this technology, the more I realized that, you know, if you put one of these tags on, you know, again, you could create the same experience that now we're creating. So um, that exists already and, and on, I think a few butchers do it and you often get RFID on meat packs, strangely, don't you? Yep. Yeah. yeah, you do. I mean, generally on high-ticket items. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, it is, it's a technology that is, that's already, it's already in the market. So you were working on this? Yep. So I was, I was, I was, working, on, I was working on this um, and really decided that, you know, this is the way of the future. You put one of these tags on every product in a supermarket and, you know, you have an RFID reader on a basket or a trolley. And again, you know, by bringing the point of sale to the trolley, you could remove it. And, you know, we, we got it pretty far. I, uh, I resigned from my job, uh, kept going, got in front of a, a large number of retailers in the US and the UK and Australia. And they all just, you know, said, look, we've, you know, we've tried and, and we'd never use it. And, you know, that was the end of the business. And, and well, it, it sounds like a great idea. Why, why they tried it? Why would they never use it? Look, there's, there's three inherent problems with RFID. Um, the first is the cost. So the cost of any tag can range from, you know, 2 to 20 cents, which means that forcing a, a supplier to a supermarket to put this on, let's say a packet of gum, for example, can crush their margins. Yep. Uh, you know, number two is that it doesn't work very well with metal, um, which means, you know, 30% of your supermarket can't be recognised. Right. And it also, it also struggles with water. So, you know, if you have any precipitation on this tag, for example, you know, it, it can ruin it completely. So I guess the whole underlying system, you know, you'd have to run, you know, the barcode and RFID solution side by side for anywhere between, you know, three to five years. Um, and the customer experience is just is just shot. So you thought, right, instead of tagging every item in the supermarket, we're going to put cameras in the trolleys and baskets and recognise them. And, and what, what, what was the journey from that realisation to today where you're just about ready to trial it in market? Uh, so, look, my once I shut that business down and, you know, my team kind of dispersed, I, I kept looking. Um, and I talked to a number of people in the field of AI, 
Um, and I found one guy based in San Francisco. So artificial who, intelligence. Uh, sorry, yes, artificial intelligence. And I found uh, one guy in San Francisco who just said, look, within two years, um, and this is circa 2015, within two years you'll be able to do what you want to be able to do. So, you know, back it. And uh, I found a, a developer based in Budapest who believed he could help me build it. And uh, for about a year and a half, I worked three jobs, uh, you know, funding the business, funding his salary, um, building the product and, and getting it to a stage where we were ready to bring on uh, seed capital or angel investment, essentially. Um, and, and once we raised that, I, I moved the business back to New Zealand. Um, and that was at, at the start of this year. So you are based in New Zealand. Why? Yes. Why, why, why uh, do you choose to be based in New Zealand? You know, from by the sound of it, you, you've got a, quite a few options as to where you could do this, and, and, and your markets are certainly mainly offshore. Look, I'm, I'm a Kiwi, um, and I've always wanted to come home. I guess off, off the back of that, you know, you've, you've got fantastic assistance from, you know, the likes of AT, from NZTE, from Callaghan. Um, you know, we were very fortunate to receive a grant from Callaghan. Uh, but, you know, I, I find that Kiwis are generally pretty uh, open to, to trying new things, you know, and, and that's right through to, you know, the customer of a supermarket all the way through to the CEO of the supermarket. You know, if you, if you have a look at the landscape of, you know, people that have done really well in this country, they tend to be, you know, entrepreneurs and people that have gone out on their own. Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas you, if you have a look in somewhere like Australia, the people that do, you know, really well tend to be CEOs of, you know, large banks or, you know, investment banks, for example. And I, I guess their road to success is, has been a little bit different to, to a lot of the Kiwis around here. So I feel that, you know, coming back here, we've got a better chance because a lot more people would probably be prepared to take a chance on us. So the other thing you need, apart from customers, of course, is a really good team to do the stuff. And certainly okay. looking, looking at your website, you, you appear to have assembled something of a, of a team. Is it hard yes. to find, you know, really clever developers and, and, you know, creative people in this field in New Zealand? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, look, I, I sponsor a few people, so we bring people in from overseas. You know, my preference is to always hire within New Zealand. Um, but for the level of, I guess, knowledge that we require, you know, we're talking around PhD level, which means that these people would have had to have been starting university and starting, you know, the study of artificial intelligence uh, or image processing around 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Auckland and, and New Zealand, you know, we, we don't have a such a thriving tech ecosystem. You know, it, it's certainly getting there, which means that a lot of the talent, once it's finished, does tend to head offshore, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to the likes of, you know, the US or, or Europe. And you're trialling your product in April in a, yes. a, a shop which um, will, will be revealed. Uh, it will be revealed. Sh shopping baskets, looking at your wheat bags. Um, what's what's the roadmap from there? You know, how how long do you think until I can you know walk into my countdown and uh, and you know make a little movie featuring wheat bix, bananas, and yogurt? Look, our our goal is certainly to have this live in you know a format store like that by by the end of next year, um, if not sooner. You know, we we will be in alpha, uh, which tends to be the stage before you know releasing it. Uh, a trial to the public yep. um, you know we plan on that being around one month 
Uh, and then depending on you know the results of that trial, we will then kind of open this up to to small groups of the public um, in iterations for you know anywhere between one to three months before we start to looking to start looking rolling out at you know one of the large formats. And and have you had much interest so far from you know those overseas retailers that you talked to in the RFID days? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, May we had one fly down uh, from the US down here. We subsequently have been back up there talking to them as well uh, and to two other retailers there. Uh, we're heavily engaged with one in the UK, uh, one well, one trans-Tasman here as well, um, and also, funnily enough, out of out of Asia and, and Korea. Look at that. Well, uh, best of luck and, uh, you know, all going well. You, We may never need to uh, talk to those horrible check out robots again William Chomley from uh, New Zealand Image Recognition and uh, Supermarket Transformation Company Imager thanks for coming on the show thank you very much for having me hey. it's Sunday Social everything you need to know about social media with Vaughan Davis this one's for my blogging angels this one's for my blogging angels this one is for anybody who is or aspiring to be a social media influencer Oh my God. You guys know I never, ever feed into drama, ever. It's not the sort of person I am. I'm so bad at confrontation. It makes me the most anxious person in the entire world. And usually with any other, I guess, situation like this, I would just, you know, sweep it under the carpet, whatever. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it, Sarah. Stop it. Stop it. I was going to run that for 30 seconds, but I can't. I can't. Let's get this out of the way. Anna, is your mic on? And welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, so, welcome back. Happy New Year. Same to you. L Darby, E-L-L-E, who may or may not just be a new character uh, by New Zealand comedian Reese Darby. We're not, we're not entirely sure that's not the case, but maybe it is. That would be, that would be a master... right for satire, That I would think. be a master stroke. Here's the story. L. Darby, whom you're just listening to, and apologies for the uh, staccato nature of the delivery, but that is how it was edited. The edit is something to see. Uh, was going on holiday. So far, so good. I've been on holiday. Do you go holidays? Anna? I do. Sure you... I do go on holidays. Talk me Love through. Them. Talk me through what happens when you want to stay in a hotel. How does that roll? How do you do that, Anna? Well, it generally involves the internet and a credit card. And some payment. Exchange. You've got thousands of followers on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Surely you could just contact the hotel and say, "Hello, it's Anna G. Connell. Don't you know who I am? May I have a room for free?" I, I mean, look, I could try it. I suppose you could. You could try it. I expect I'd be laughed off the telephone. And that's exactly what happened to L. Darby. Now, L. Darby is a U. Based social media influencer. By her own description, this is what she does for a job. And it's a job, as far as I can make out, that is paid for in free makeup, travel, and the occasional food stuff. So I don't know quite how you pay the mortgage with that. But she's a social media influencer. She wanted to go on holiday in Ireland, and a hotel called the White Moose caught her eye she contacted the proprietor and said hello i'm coming please can I have a free room in exchange for my fabulousness and uh 90, youtube followers and a good review and a good a good mm. unbiased credible um, <laughs> totally impartial objective. <laughs> objective review so far so nutty the um proprietor refused not only did he refuse 
he refused online via Facebook and kind of described what had happened, uh, asked the quite valid question of, you know, how's he going to pay his chef, his chambermaids, his whatever, in exposure? Um, Exposure dollars. Exposure dollars. Uh, Didn't name her, but uh, she took that to be an outing, if you like. I don't mean an outing as in go to the zoo and have an ice cream. I mean being outed on the internet, and that... uh, that video was the response, and it's kind of ignited a bit of a war between her followers, who are all rallying behind her and giving the the White Moose one-star reviews, despite never having been there, uh, and his followers going, who the heck is this person, and uh, who does she think she is? But it's not as black and white as all that, is it, Anna? Well, no, it's not. I mean, I do just want to say she's 22 and wants to stay in a hotel. I never stayed in hotels when I was 22, so there's that. Um it's not because, you know, there are a lot of people who are social media influencers, although, you know, I would tend to steer clear of the ones that were self-proclaimed social media influencers, who do do deals with brands and companies in exchange, you know, for exposure. Um, and a lot of them are very good at what they do and a lot of them, you know, work very hard to create, um, you know, great relationships. It's no different from a company really sponsoring a, a football team or something like that in that regard. But this, I think, is a bit on the nose because most businesses these days, if they're looking to use spokespeople or influencers in this way, would approach an influencer or a spokesperson that was appropriate and right for that particular business. I mean... Al Darby has no idea what the White Moose is trying to achieve as a company and, and whether her followers, who, if she's a 22-year-old blogger, she is probably talking a lot about eyeshadow, um, whether or not that any of those followers care about the White Moose or staying in a good hotel. And, and, and indeed, if, if most of them are 22 years old or younger, you know, what are the chances they're going to, you know, have any money. Have any money and, uh, and turn the, that, uh, that influence into actual hard cash. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. And a lot of, you know, um, clients through the goat farm, my, my ad agency we're involved with, we, we, are, we, are, we, are, we have been known to go, let's put on an event, let's contact some people with wide social media reach and invite them. But that's, that's usually the direction in which the conversation starts, right? We want to do yeah. something, you guys come along. And it's been, it's been like that pre-social media. You know, you'll do a... Uh, a, a film preview, and you'll get Colin Mathura, Jeffrey, and some other people uh, exactly. to, to come to you your know, thing. You know, it is just word of mouth. It's good old fashioned marketing word of mouth. It's not a, a new thing. I think what is new, though, is this kind of idea. I mean, she says in the introduction to that video, and to all of you aspiring to be social media influencers, so please don't aspire to be a social media influencer. <laughs> like, aim a bit higher. Maybe aspire to be someone who says great things or creates great content or whatever but don't aspire to be a social media influencer you know it is that thing where there's a sense of entitlement i think and you know most businesses worth their salt aren't really interested in entitlement or exposure when it's kind of being thrust upon them they will seek it out if they need it maybe people should aspire to become in fact prime minister that's a great aspiration. That's, that's 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 a somewhat that's a somewhat loftier aspiration. And then actually, if you are the prime minister, you get um, you get social media influencer thrown in. Well, it's <laughs> just a, it's just part of the deal. I don't I don't think Jacinda Ardern is likely to uh, email the White Moose Lodge anytime soon and say, please, can I no, for free? Because there are rules around that I have, stuff. I have a hundred thousand followers. Uh, but what she did do, of course, was share with uh, a, a, a mostly joyous nation uh, on Friday. I think it was.
that um, she's expecting a baby in yes, June. It's wonderful news, and I thought the way that she shared it. She first shared it on Instagram. Was that the very first place? Yeah, I think it was Instagram. How and modern! I know, and with a lovely, lovely little photo of sort of. Um, you know, two bigger fishing hooks and then a little fishing hook inside one of the fishing hooks, which I thought was really, really cute. Um, so she did Instagram first and then I think a release went out pretty soon after that and I think Twitter and then there was the press conference. That was pretty cool. And, and the, 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 I mean, I was I was very, very happy about it. Uh, not not least of all because my birthday's in June, so I have, I have a little you know, Jacinda baby buddy or, <laughs> or something. There you go. I'm claiming, I'm claiming fame by association already. But... Um, it was interesting to see how the reaction online rolled out, and and it sort of came in, came in waves, and not and and, and not kind of the waves you would expect, and, and you know by large by and large the biggest group was was the happy people, yeah, but really, really close behind that was the people who were cross at the critics, and that was the next biggest group, the people who were cross at the critics, yeah, and then way down in the bronze medal position with, ting, the, critics. Ting, with the actual critics yeah. and and it, i've seen this in other other sort of contentious uh, announcements that have happened you know that, that make some people happy and some people sad the people who are criticizing the critics outnumber the critics it's it's a thing isn't it it's a phenomenon it is and i think you know so much of that says more about those people than it than it does actually the kind of situation i mean i think you know, the thing is, is she is quite heavily burdened with, I guess, many expectations and mantles. You know, she's a political figure and, you know, I do find it really ironic that so much of the people talking about the anticipated criticism were essentially coming from a point of view of, you know, a woman's body is her own, it shouldn't be public property, we shouldn't be talking, you shouldn't be able to have an opinion on it, and yet that was that was so much of the discourse that they were kind of creating. Um, but, you know, I think it is just something people do, they just want to get it out there and pre-anticipate any kind of negativity, maybe in a hope that it will stop some of it or that it will shield them from it. Or, or is it, is it uh, and we're going to roll out two buzzwords tonight, you, we we kind of promised that we won't do too many buzzwords on Sunday Social, but we're going to roll out two, and they, they may be useful in this uh, in this conversation. The first one is virtue signalling, and I've got to I've got to admit this is one I, I heard a lot before I fully understood what it meant. So virtue signalling, Anna, is what? Well, it's essentially basically using largely social media or you know whatever sort of online platform you might have. I feel to kind of pin your colours to a mast. So, so much of what goes on on social media is really about people kind of um, stating their values. And virtue signalling has become kind of quite a negative term. It's used by the the alt-right or, or the right in, um, in America. Uh, and it is about sort of oftentimes used when people are talking about a liberal, progressive or, a, a, you know, sometimes it's just good uh, kind of topics and stating their point of view on it. And I mean, my, my take on it is, is something that on the face of it might be intended just as a comment on an issue or a statement or whatever is actually just intended to show the world what kind of person I am, yeah. symbol my virtues. It is used a lot now kind of in the connotation of um, companies, so for example, you know, um, lots of the big banks coming out and supporting things like gay pride. Um, and Oh, there's good margin, yeah. good margin in that. People who are unhappy about that will talk about the fact that the bank is virtue signalling, so essentially purporting to be progressive and liberal and all of those kinds of things, and people are quite unhappy about it in a commercial kind of realm because they feel like those institutions should be politically neutral and they feel like 
coming out in favour of something like gay pride is not politically neutral. And, and, and is perhaps a little bit has slightly cynical motivations. The the other buzzword, and this sort of relates to that, is white knighting, like the you know a knight on a, a white horse, white knighting. So what's white knighting? Well, white knighting, I think, is is a lot of what we're sort of seeing in in reaction to um, Jacinda and Clark's announcement, which is preemptively sort of coming to the rescue. So often coming to the rescue of someone, yep. and often, often it's a woman coming to the rescue of a woman who doesn't necessarily need need rescuing. No, and it is um, kind of probably a relation of mansplaining. Ooh, uh, you know what? We should, we should, we should, I should get you. I should get you to explain mansplaining right after this break. Hey, welcome back to Sunday Social. As uh, as promised, as promised before the break, um, or, you know, we say that we steer clear of the buzzwords, but sometimes buzzwords they just become words, don't they? Yeah, and I think this is one that people need to know about as well. You know, it's become so much part of the vernacular. Maybe it's a new part of the show. We'll do a little little audio thing. Word of the week. Yeah, totally. So this mansplaining. 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 So it's essentially when men generally online, um, and a lot of them think they're well-meaning, uh, are explaining something, are. usually to a woman, uh, in a manner which is regarded as condescending and patronising. And, and condescending means we talk down to you. Well, it sometimes happens a lot when um, the man assumes that the woman doesn't know what she's talking about or is not. But I've seen people um, sort of mansplain concepts to, uh, you know, kind of um, astrophysicists. Oh, you, sometimes it's just funny. Sometimes yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's really funny when you sort of see unsuspecting yeah. men walk into these kind and, of and, conversations. And say, look, look I'll, I'll tell you how Star Trek went down. It turns out you're talking to, to uh, William Shatner. Yeah, yeah, totally. Or I'll tell you about the physics of something, um, despite the fact you're talking to an, an astrophysicist. So it is kind of... Look, I sometimes feel a little bit sorry when men get a accused of, of mansplaining because I actually think there's something in the mail which is about always trying to answer the question and fix things um, and I think sometimes I just get a little bit caught up in that but it can result in yeah some quite funny interactions but generally speaking it's kind of that thing where men will just jump in and explain something without considering whether the woman needs it explained to them mansplaining hey uh, consumer electronics show. Whew, I bet there was a lot of mansplaining went on there because oh, every God, photograph I that. saw of the Consumer Electronics Show, which was this huge gadget fest in Las Vegas two weeks ago, um, was mm, um, quite a few um, quite a few boys in the room. Quite it was mainly room. men and robots. Mainly men and robots. Yeah, some, and that's some, a healthy mix, don't you think? Some of the robots <laughs> were lady robots. And in fact, there's a whole subservience. I mean, naturally, because they, you know they are our servants, are they not? There's a whole subservience thing with robots. One of the robots at Consumer Electronics Show that was generating a heck of a lot of buzz uh, was called Foldio. Oh, and yes, the washing folding it one. It folds your washing. And it's useless. It's absolutely <laughs> useless. It's about the size of a fridge. <laughs> and who has room in their house for another fridge? Uh, and you've got to, you've got to feed. It's, it's like feeding um, dollar bills into one of those, um, you know, Coke vending machine mm. or something, except your dollar bills are your clothes. So you've got to feed them in a certain way. And that takes you about 10 minutes. And then 10 minutes later, they come out folded. And it doesn't do fitted sheets. 
Oh, well, that's, that is... What's the point of it? See, I'd, I'd pay $1,000 for a robot that did fitted so sheets. So would I. But you've got, you've got a bunch of other equally uh, dumb gadgets from Consumer Electronics Show. So, woman, explain them to me. <laughs> woman, explain them to them. So, I mean, my impression overall, and I did read quite a lot of commentary around this, that there was a lot of useless stuff at CES this year. And I do wonder whether we're sort of getting to the point of we've run out of... Um, Stuff to problems to problems fix. to yeah. solve, or we we you know the the problems we actually need to solve are too hard. But some of what came out of CES included a connected hairbrush. So this is um, a collaboration between Kerastas, Wythings, and L'Oreal's Research and Innovation Technology Incubator. I'm sorry, I'm trying to la- to laugh reading that. Um, but basically, it can hear now using sensors whether you've got split ends. So and, and, it listens to your hair. And then I guess... And then it tells you that information back to an app. So there's a smart hairbrush and then an app. And you brush your hair with it and it listens, I'm using air quotes for that, to your hair to tell you about the condition of your hair, including how you can change your brushing technique. Or indeed how you can buy something from, mm, let me guess, Kerastas or L'Oreal. Yeah, I would say that the the solution to the problems lie in those products, for sure. So there's those. Then there are the vibrating shorts, which help you navigate. Yeah, so so when I saw vibrating shorts, shorts I went yeah hmm, vibrating mm. shorts when you saw vibrating shorts there was also a picture of a lot of very attractive women in denim shorts um, the, well colloquially known as daisy jukes yeah so a lot of women in daisy jukes that um, vibrate so if you need to turn left if you've set yourself a destination on google maps or whatever and you need to turn left it will vibrate on your left hip if you need to turn right it will vibrate on your right hip now do you know what when I first read this when you sent it to me I thought that's stupid but actually my, my little mind, my little oh, man mind's Lordy. been going. No, this is where it would be good. On a bike? No, putting the Daisy Duke and the left-right thing together. This would be good if you ever, for God only knows what reason, wanted to learn how to barn dance. Well, if you want to learn how to dance, Just actually. learn how to dance, you know, step to the left, step to the right, and your you, you, you pants. Well, you could combine these vibrating shorts with the virtual reality shoes, which were one of the other things that virtual came up. Virtual reality shoes. Hit me, and we're going to do another buzzword, and the buzzword is haptic. Haptic, which is kind of that sort of... I didn't actually know how to describe haptic, but I, I know what it is because it's on my phone. It's that, it is sort of a... It's physical feedback. Yeah. It's physical physical feedback through a device. So when you when you tap when you tap your screen and your te- your screen goes boom. Yeah, or sort of wobbles a bit. That, that's yeah. haptic feedback, right? So these are not actual real life. <laughs> these are virtual reality shoes, and that they give your feet the sensation of walking on a variety of different surfaces. Uh, Why do we want that? I don't know. Games, games. So, so games, I mean, maybe. Yeah. So you you're walking through a virtual world in your game. You go from a beach to um, a, a leafy floor, yep. a leafy forest floor a to a, to a swamp. And you can have the sensation of walking through those different surfaces wearing these shoes. And then if you're wearing your vibrating shorts, it's just a like it's a whole world, isn't it? Okay, you've got one chance. One chance to uh, to pull it back with a, a a rubbish device that might not be rubbish. Okay, so the the fridge cam. The fridge cam. Yeah. So there is there is I think some genuine merit in exploring the idea of smart fridges that can actually tell you what's in your fridge and um, update you know your shopping lists and all of that kind of thing. And I think the expiry date stuff is kind of useful too. My only question around this is, do you then have to scan all the food as it goes into the fridge? Yeah, that's that's probably getting a bit dumb. But, you know, when you combine it with the technology that uh, New Zealand company Imager 
is working on. Yes, I did see, I did listen to that. So talking about the first half. So imagine, imagine um, if you had a camera inside your fridge that just could look at a pot of yogurt and know that's a pot of yogurt Mm. and it knows, you know, ties into your online shopping behaviour and goes, you know what, Anna? You probably should buy some yogurt. Totally, that would be awesome. It would be awesome. The other, the other thing I like about this is it's a really good example of what I like to call smartification. Smartification. Smart buzzword. Um, we keep hearing about uh, smart fridges all the time. Twelve thousand, fifteen thousand dollars smart fridges, mm. and the smart thing about them is they have a camera and a screen. Well, with this camera, this fridge cam, the smarter fridge cam, you can just use your ordinary fridge. I'm quite happy with my fridge smack this camera into it and you've got a smart fridge. That's true. And and that was kind of what I liked about Imager. is you don't need a whole new shop no. sh- supermarket. You just bring in these these camera camera equipped shopping trolleys and, and Bob's your uncle. So I think I think of all of those, connected hairbrush, vibrating shorts, virtual reality shoes, fridge cam, I'm I'm tempted. I'm tempted to invest in the fridge cam if it's not too expensive. Yeah, I think that sounds really good. I mean, all of it just feels like kind of iterative though, doesn't it? Like yeah, it, but it's kind of cool. It's kind of a development well, here, stuff. There, there I am at the countdown. I go, do I have any milk in the fridge? Well, I just look on my, on my, my, on my app cam. and can have a look and I'll also know whether or not the light's still on. Hey, Anna, thank you so much for joining me tonight on Sunday Social. Always thank a pleasure. You, uh, thank you, William Chomley from Imager, tying that whole uh, fridge cam connected shopping loop together nicely. And, of course, Sarah O'Dwyer in the booth. I'll be back in a week. In the meantime, it's time for the weekend variety wireless, which I know you'll enjoy. Nighty night.